0: Thank you for pressing play on a Southside perspective. My guest today is Matt Devine, uh, founder and frontman of Chicago-based band Kill Hannah, that went on to basically just do huge things. They signed a monster deal with Atlantic Records and were later on Roadrunner. Uh, They've worked with literally all the bands that you know, uh, Papa Roach, Dashboard Confessionals, Eve Six, Everclear, Jane's Addiction, you name it. This band just went on to have huge success. Uh, Doing it over the phone, you'll notice that There is one little audio glitch that we cover. Welcome to Quarantine Life. What can you do? Uh, But thanks for listening. Please enjoy Matt Devine of Kill Hannah. All right, another episode of a Southside perspective. I got my boy on today. Uh, awesome dude, awesome musician, uh, founder and frontman for extremely noteworthy band Kill Hannah. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Divine. What's up, brother? How are you? You left off Southside Jake fanatic. <laughs> Literally Southside Jake fanatic, which is mutual. Um. Uh, what's going on, buddy? You we're doing this one virtually, so you are in Los Angeles, California, I believe. Correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm in I'm in Hollywood in my cottage here, which I call a nano mansion, but it's literally just a one bedroom cottage. You stayed here. <laughs>
0: I I've had the pleasure of being out there and it is sick. It's a, it's a nano mansion. Like, I don't even know, like being a Chicago guy, I've dipped my toe in LA, uh, as you know, but don't really have enough LA to like know about it. And like, you've got this sweet little cottage with like this orange or lemon tree in the back and like this dope patio, but it's just like slightly, uh, it's like a mansion just miniaturized. It's sick.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's, it's literally like, uh, like Al Capone's prison vault. You know, it's got everything's miniature, but it's, it's quaint, it's cute, it's kind of Victorian and yeah, it's cozy. And now that, you know, given everything that's going down, we're just this is my it's kind of is a prison cell right now, but but it's chill. I went I went out to the desert, I went out to um just beyond beyond Pioneer Town out in the desert and stayed in in a little RV for a few weeks the minute this thing kind of hit and I was making <laughs> I was like isolating by hundreds of miles and just every time I wanted to Eat. I had to make fire and uh, Wi-Fi was pretty non-existent but um, yeah I'm back here now just kicking it and I, I that actually and I miss you dude I miss you.
0: I know we, uh, I was, it was all like going down. I was going to come out to LA. We were going to do this podcast in person, maybe set up some meetings and some other stuff. And then like quarantine life struck very quickly. So, uh, but as soon as it's all over and I get out of my own head about being scared of everything and everyone, uh, I got to get out there ASAP and we got to get back on track. I think, I think you have to move out here. I don't know how you can retain your,
1: your moniker and your brand, but I think, I think Southside Jake has to at least 50, 50 Chicago and LA at some point soon.
0: I think if I landed in a, like a musical town, like an LA or a Nashville or New York or whatever, I could absolutely keep the moniker of Southside side mm-hmm. dick. Cause people would just be like, Oh, he's just moving for, you know, for the dream or whatever, or to pursue <laughs> it. You took the plunge. When did you go out there about 2013? Yeah. Time, LA? Yeah. Yeah.
1: 2013, uh, 2010 is when I moved out of Chicago. And interestingly, you you just know this about Chicago, but it's really tough to leave. It's really there's every reason, reason in the world not to. There's every friend in the world enabling you not to leave. There's I mean it's it, uh, Chicago's just its own planet, and if if not for a gig I got in that in that Broadway show, I don't know if I'd have the like this the real steam and to to get out of Chicago's. Gravity, you know, so I, I was I was I had an opportunity that brought me in New York, which is cool. I got to live in the West Village of New York for a few years. and then yeah, from there, I moved to a um, but uh, yeah, and that's that's been me. So now, just like everyone else in the world, I live in l a.
0: Yeah. Well, Chicago's special. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it, it, it is so hard to leave, especially my version of Chicago. I'm born and raised and have such a tight knit group of pals and everything else like that. Uh, you touched on the Broadway thing. Let me let me circle back, though, and go from the beginning. So um, basically, you're you're born out east, right? Like New York, New Jersey kind of style. And you end up coming to Chicago like late high school. Is that accurate information?
1: yeah. Is any, is anyone going to find this interesting? I I I love talking about myself, and I think and my mom,
0: <laughs> but
1: she's not big on podcasts.
0: So I'm you don't. My mom <laughs> and your mom are going to listen to this and love it. I mean, you. No, you, everyone's going to care big time about this. I mean, you basically what I'm the next question, and we can just dive into the fun part. Is like I want to really dig in to kill Hannah. Yeah. So Like for, so, those who really don't know what's going on. Um. Uh kill hannah was like this just this huge band and took over the world and like toured with everybody and all the huge names that you could think of like you brought out with you you know my research and through talking to you and knowing you opening and playing with 30 seconds to mars fucking Alice in chains my chemical romance like you name it literally everyone and you're like Founding and front manning this crazy man, or crazy man, crazy band that like blew up the world, right? So let's just dig into the fun part then. Like, how the hell did that start? Because that kind of started in Chicago and at, and at ISU, right?
1: Oh God, ISU, yeah. Well, I I went to Lake Forest High School, and yeah, if we're gonna keep this really Chicago focused, I moved my family moved from East Coast to Lake Forest um, in the middle of you know North Shore in junior year of high school, which was interesting because. Even I've been around a bit by that point, but Lake Forest High School—it's just a public high school—but it looked like, you know, Montecito, like like a, like Monticello, like it looked. It looked like some sort of Ivy League campus, you know. And my my yeah. first impression was like, this is awesome. And uh, I mean, I love elitist stuff and uh, <laughs> snobbery and all that. And um, <laughs> and uh, and I was just surprised at how miserable everyone was there and didn't really appreciate how how fly it was so i was i was always like really into the north shore and then yeah but i didn't take high school seriously and i and uh so when it came time to apply for schools i went to isu for a minute because back then it was i was skateboarding a ton they called the illinois skate university i'm like oh that's cool let's go skate down there
0: Well, you guessed it. That is the sound. That means that's where the audio cut off. But no worries. We got right back on it. So let's enjoy the rest of the conversation with Matt Devine. Sorry for the hiccup. All right, so we were we were rapping and then uh the audio went a little bit nuts there. Sorry about that, listeners, but you were talking ISU and kind of for you it had a little bit of like a bro, oh, yeah. a bro culture, maybe, and you weren't feeling it so much. Is that the short version of what you were rapping <laughs> about? Well, look, to put in perspective, and if this
1: gives any of your any of your listeners uh, like hope, I was re- here's how bad my grades were. I was rejected from northern Illinois. So I well, I mean, this is super boring, but I remember going through the the full spectrum of, of just reality of just learning that there were consequences to me not not caring throughout high school and um, and that that you know, you get teased. I don't, you remember being in um, in, in being a junior in high school and back then at least they had the books, so all the colleges had pictures of their campus and what they're special. You know. Yeah. What, what their expertise is and the history and notable alum. so I I was teased in the sense I was allowed to just go and dream in that book. And like, Oh, I think I want to go here. Oh, I think I'm going to go here. I remember thinking that I was going to go to some, like some campus in in the Hamptons so you could surf and I would study marine biology. That was my plan. My parents told me that I was insane and that, you know, Why on earth would they throw money down the toilet with someone that doesn't take anything seriously? So I was I was forced to limit my search to only state schools, by the way, rejected from northern Illinois. So that's I, I would like to give hope to any of your of your listeners out there in that you can you can you can be rejected from northern Illinois. And still, you know, scrape together a, an
0: existence out there for yourself. But, well, but yeah so right. If life doesn't work, you know, in school, just start a rock band, have it go super famous, sign a record <laughs> deal, and then go tour the world. I mean, that's a very uh, <laughs> easy path. You know what I mean? Anyone can do that. That's no problem.
1: Well, dude, you know what you just reminded me of. So I was down there trying to. I was the only, pretty much the only one among. It was like thirty thousand just meatheads down there. Just. Um, just doing what, what meatheads do. And I was miserable. I never even unpacked, but I started making music uh, down there in my four track. And at that time, interesting anecdote, the, the John Hughes, the director, you know, 16 Candles, Weird Science, Breakfast Club, all the above. It's one of the only real big name directors living in, in Chicago at that time. And, and I befriended his son who was producing my music at that time. And actually I was offered, it was the first contract I guess I ever had as as an artist. And I, I hadn't even really brought this up in ages, but um, it was it was to sign to his production company so that his son could produce uh, an album. And it was ostensibly for Breakfast Club 3 at that time. So I'd, I'd written a bunch of songs that were kind of grit pop and uh, his son did a great job producing them. And it was up, that's right when I dropped out of ISU. And I thought for sure, I was just about to, you know, become a household name. <laughs> ended up not working out that way. I ended up from there working at uh, working at a one-hour photo in Highland Highland Park. So if anyone ever remembers what one-hour photos are, I basically made a one of the few remaining one-hour one-hour photo shops. Um, I think I drove them out of business because I was just such a bad employee just hanging out with my friends and I screwed up a lot of people's orders and whatever few customers we had stopped coming. And, um, and then, and then from there, yeah. And and then Kilhanna was starting to just get off the ground a little bit. I went to school, the Art Institute of Chicago, and that's where I I ended up graduating. But, um, no, dude, we took the long road. I don't, I would say this, uh, there was, I don't think anyone really promoted as hard for as long as we did I mean, well, what we you know what we did was was painful and humiliating and it, it, it was just a never-ending it was just never-ending torture really
0: well I mean, kill hannah basically starts and correct me if i'm wrong <laughs> but in like 1993 re, like right like early to mid 90s and then you guys grind independent for like over 10 11 years and don't really catch uh your first major deal until like oh three oh four is that correct
1: yeah i mean we 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 put kill hannah i i think pretty much formed in, in any meaningful sense like probably 1996 like that's when our first independent P came out, and that's where there's actual, you know, photos and the name and the brand and the logo and all that. And then, yeah, then we pretty much slugged it out, old school, um, just paying our dues uh, for, yeah. And then that was another. Would you say like another four, seven years? Seven so, years until we signed our deal. Yeah. So during, and in that, go ahead. No, I was say in that time too. You're talking about going from. And I mean playing to nobody, nobody. Like, band, the whole, all the gear, all the rehearsals, to play for just a single bartender in the back of a room, or to play. You know, playing one or two shows a week, and just, you know, we got started getting Monday nights at Metro, and then started to, from there, built and built to a point where, you know, it wasn't that long. I mean, maybe it was two, starting around two thousand, I think we were. Remember, we're like that's when. Uh, I think I, I want to be a Kennedy was written. And that's that's right around then is when we started, we were actually headlining and selling out the Metro, but still no label would touch us because we'd been, we were damaged goods. We'd, we'd been around too long. We were uncool. We were, um, you know, not commercial enough. We were, uh, yeah, at that time, the bands were getting record deals and it was breaking my heart. Because every week it'd be, an, it'd be a new metal band that no one had heard of would sign to a major label. It'd be some obscure indie girl that doesn't have a single fan signed to a major label. It was. And meanwhile, we were we had evidence that we were legit. I, it was just it was heartbreaking as hell. Like we would we would imagine just imagine what it would feel like to play a sold out Metro show with with fans screaming every single lyric to every single song, dressing like you. Um, wearing dressed up like in costumes to go to the show 90% female um, to, screaming to the point that when you finish your final song of the set your ears are the screams are louder than the music and the amps were so getting hearing damage from the piercing screams and then loading your gear up in a shitty little Honda Civic, making a few trips to your houses and then the next day going back to work and no one gives a fuck like our our bass player was was working at Circuit City. So he would go from playing a sold out show and signing autographs outside for like 2 hours to putting on that Circuit City polo shirt and going and going to work in you know wherever Downers Grove or whatever and and having to be really polite to whatever dipshit is is you know impatient with him
0: it reminds me of the end of uh of the eight mile movie after eminem like wins that battle everyone's like yeah we're going to the top and he goes back to catch his second shift at the at the yard <laughs> or whatever and he's like back to work um
1: we're, but- a lo- we're a lot like eminem we are a lot like eminem
0: my my level of success, I mean, as you know, you follow my stuff. Like, it hasn't been that big, but I've had moments like that too, where like, you know, I did sell out a house of blues, and then it's like, all right, well, what are you gonna do now? It's like, well, I'm gonna go to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. just gonna go back to to the grind because you know, as cool as those moments in time are, and you make a couple bucks, unless you really have a sustainable tour or something going on, like you just gotta like go back to the photo hut. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's nothing yeah, else no, you can we, do, dude.
1: And you and I and you and I talked about that, and yeah, it's interesting. Like there. I don't know if you're any of your other, your listeners are more like aspiring artists, um, but, but, you know, you really have to be willing to lose it all and you have to be willing to, to commit, you know, blood, sweat and tears and, and just know that that mountain is going to, you know, the minute you climb that one mountain, there's just gonna be another mountain and you have to humble yourself and you have to be willing to eat shit. And, um, you know, we I, I i would have thought you know when i was 18 i would have thought oh headline in the metro you're done you know right. and then you get there or house of blues in your this right and then um what else is there then you get there and you realize like okay so maybe we're in another category but it's still a we're still in the gladiator arena and it's still a fight to the death and i you know i would just say and i wouldn't do it again if if i had to you know but my, at least my mentality during that entire period was, I'm, I, and it was non exaggeration, but it's like, I'm either going to sign to a major label and have a real, and really, you know, my dream will come true or I'm just going to, I'll probably commit suicide. It was, there was no other option. And I've learned later in life that the universe just the, 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 how do I say this? Just, just, the karmic justice of the universe is such that this this like um if we are living living in a simulation whatever that whatever that code is
0: that is, algorithm that
1: yeah it 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 makes you make it forces you to make that decision it tests your metal on every level and it will only reward those who are pure of heart so that if you are a musician but you also maybe are like well you know i also kind of want to act and i really want to get my handbag business off the ground like then the universe isn't going to give you that break like it it has to be that absolute hook line and sinker all in um, diabolical maniacal laser laser focus um, on what you want and basically declaring every fucking day what you want specifically so I would say I want a major label deal I want a major label deal if I ever saw a shooting star I'd wish on it I want a major label deal. if I was if I if the clock hit eleven eleven, I was like I want a major label deal you know if I walk by a church I light a candle if I have a birthday candle I blow it out that's my wish like do you know what I mean like it wasn't it wasn't one among a whole bouquet of other wishes it was it was a very very clear very crisp and and looking back i don't even know if i was qualified to get it you know but i but i but every single person that i met i put i framed them within what i wanted you know well, so when i met a no uh, a, i don't know whoever my aunt was dating <laughs> at a family function I'd be curious to know if he has any, any connections whatsoever in the music industry.
0: You know, I'm convinced as well that that universal algorithm or wavelength or whatever you want to call it. I think it does a couple of things. I'm in full agreement with you that one, it absolutely ultimately weeds out who is, who is life and death. Like you just said, it's life and death for you. That's how Mm -hmm. I feel about it for me as well. And then, uh, it also tends to reward you almost when you're at the end of that rope, at least in my experience. It's <laughs> yeah. like, all right, this is not going to work. I've done everything. And then, boom, you get like that little window of oh, yeah. like, something cool happening or a break. And then that little break will fuel you for like another year or two. Yeah. You know you're, what I mean?
1: You're, dude, that's so true. That's – yeah, that's maybe – the part I left out you, you yeah you have to be willing your soul needs to die like your ego needs to die it can't almost die it needs to totally die uh, so I, I met a dude I sat um across from. there's a there's a cast of this awesome movie Perks of Being a Wallflower that were on the cover of Nylon Magazine and I was at their issue launch dinner and I sat where everyone is pretty accomplished and it's really exciting to just chat with whoever the hell you're sitting next to and I sat next to this. Dude, I, he looks so familiar to me, and uh, and it turns out he's the actor. He was at that time he's the star of a show called Revenge on HBO. But he's like, yeah, you might remember me. I was in I was in the Jason Bourne movies. I was like, oh yeah, it's so, the dude. he's not the principal in Bourne, but he's he's definitely recognizable. And and nice. um and at that point he was now the star of, of the fifth season of of HBO's biggest show or whatever. And his story was. He said that he was so sick of auditioning and that that he decided at age, he's like, if it doesn't happen by this age, whatever that age was, 30 or 31 or whatever it was, I'm moving to New Hampshire and I'm going to teach. And he was so sure of that, that, you know, um, three weeks ahead of that birthday, he bought his flight. He, he told his agent that, you know, he's, he's done, um, just kind of declared it. To the universe that he's moving on, and and this is after being rejected in auditions. I'm talking with thousands of times. Like he he was auditioning for some like ten years, you know, and it just it just wasn't happening. And so he booked his flight back home, sold his stuff, moved out of his place, and the day of his flight to New Hampshire, his his ex agent called him and asked if he wanted to go in on one last audition, and it was for the Born movies and he went in. He said he went in with the attitude like fuck Hollywood. Like just just fuck you. Fuck you for life. And that was the that was the energy that he brought to that audition and he booked it. And the rest is history. Now he's a full time you know millionaire big big uh you know he's just super super accomplished actor right now
0: yeah that's the coolest story ever and i think there's something to be said though about that energy if sometimes you have to have uh you know effort, throw it throw caution to the wind stop trying to please others i'm out anyway so i bet there was a different energy probably in that audition if i had to guess you know what i mean um let me though: totally. so you're in the stage and we're talking about like you know, it's a life or death situation. And being so passionate about it, and then grinding it out, and then people just going back to work at Circuit City and stuff. And you're selling out the Metro, but you're still, I say super affectionately, know you know how I talk. You're still just a bum. Um, <laughs> when does when does the record deal hit? How do you actually get over the hump and get that record deal? Tell me that story about how you guys got signed.
1: Okay, so. Right. I'd say, just just prior to getting an actual hard offer, we had had countless close calls. So we'd have the head of Warner Brothers flies us to l a with you know, with just a few hours' notice to perform in front of the entire staff of Warner Brothers. So we'd get our hopes up, and then our hopes would be dashed time and time and time again, You know, like we'd play i don't know whatever festivals was like south by southwest or um i don't even remember what fests were were popping back back then in terms of like music uh like conventions and um, yeah like conferences no the one no i mean the ones that were designed to launch unknown bands kind of thing the the sort of sort of uh the sort of thing where you you'd have to apply to get in and the whole point is it's a showcase. For, for labels right. or whatever. So so we'd been we'd showcase in front of just about every label multiple times and every any one of those was an opportunity to get signed because they at that point had our music, they know what we're about, they, they know what our whatever sort of charisma we might have on stage, what we're like live, who we are as people, who our team is at that point, what our reputations are, um how many units we've sold independently you know there's so our story was there and it, you know I think the hardest thing for for newer artists is even just getting to getting in front of a shot caller we we had been in front of shot callers for for years at that point and
0: let, let me interject real quick though because I always like to dig deeper on stuff the head of Warner or or whatever you said how did they, how'd you even get to that point? How did, did you just randomly send them like a press kit or how did that?
1: No. Well, at that point, at that point, I'm telling you, we were, we're already a proven entity and a proven draw in Chicago. So that if there was a, there were huge bands coming through where they would put us on a support just to fill the room. So we, so it could have come from anywhere. Like these, these, these were coming from, Joe Shanahan, who owns the Metro, or maybe whoever booked some of the other rooms, um, any anyone within you know, Griff Morris is my buddy who worked at Naris at the time in Chicago, the Grammys, and it could come from a lawyer, could you know? how at, at, at that point, everyone, in, every single person in Chicago knew that we were either on the verge of of getting a deal or. Of just becoming obscure and you know dying in a, in a mass grave somewhere and and you know and we we, we just stopped even we didn't even mention to people that because there were just so many close calls that just didn't materialize so so yeah we had um, you know we were on everyone's radar but you know an A R person and and this really hasn't changed you know they're scared for their jobs right so. The only time they threaten their livelihood, you know, their their family's financial security is when they step out and take a chance and say, I want to sign this artist, because till then, you know, no one's no one's going to get I haven't seen people get fired for not signing artists. You know, they they get fired when they when they stick their neck out for something that ends up be, being a total failure. So um, I kind of get it in the sense that they, they need to, at the very least um, be, and this is maybe useful for your listeners, but if you think like an a guy, they, what they can do to mitigate risk to their careers when they stick their neck out and say, I'm going to, I'm going to sign this artist is at least have, a strong case for why anybody would dig this artist. Do you know what I mean? Like that's why they look at YouTube members. That's why they look at streams um, on Spotify. That's why they look at these achievements or like who's part of the camp or what high profile fans this artist has or what, what else they have going on and how much they're hustling because that, that can at the very least make the case for if it, if it's a dud, Hey man, here's my here's my case and and anybody would have agreed anybody would have um also taken the same shot that i did that's why they also always take a wait and see because it's a lot easier for them to say hey i made him an offer because sony and you know everyone else under the sun has also made them an offer so at least they're not going to get fired if that you know if if that doesn't work out so right they they had they hedge their bets
0: so which is also why it's so like nowadays, with, with the, the everybody has visible numbers where I feel like if it's 1974, like you don't have visible numbers. The only thing you can go <laughs> off is like sound and feel and are the chicks dancing to it at the concert. Now you can be like, sounds like Jake, 6,000 YouTube video or, you know, views on that latest video. Like, f that call me when you get 6 million. And then <laughs> then if, then when you're at 6 million, it's like, well do I even want a record label in this current label or, or in this current era? Because you might yeah. be able to just go the independent route and make a lot of guap, uh, that way. Um, but <laughs> totally, I digress totally. when you end up finally getting the deal. So you get called out a few times, you had, you've done uh, a bunch of close calls. Um, when did you actually sign? It was Atlantic, right? That you ended up fully signing with. Yeah,
1: we signed with Atlantic, um, because a a manager that had been repping us at the time, sent our um, our CDs, to, and I mean blank CDs, that's how long this was, but a blank CD of our song, I Wanna Be a Kennedy, um, via a lawyer ended up on the desk of a VP of AR at, at Atlantic. And it happened to be also that, um, and this is kind of ironic because normally I like everything to be so pristine and perfect. And it was up to me to have, Full press kit with everything else. I think one of the reasons why it ended up working out is he didn't have any pre- <coughs> preconceived notion of of who we were. There was no hype. There's no anything. So he just literally did one of the few anarchists guys that was doing their job. He he just put on the CD and just judged the song "I Want to Be a Can- Kennedy" on the merits of the song itself, you know. And he thought it was rad. And and he was also had just had a ton of success. He signed Pod. POD at that point were similar in the case that there was no heat on POD to, to get a deal. They, he, he stuck his neck, neck out for those guys when they were the kind of ugly stepchild of the Christian new metal scene. They were, right. you're talking about like nine dudes who've been around for 10 years touring with dreadlocks. Um, and everyone, everyone thought John Ruby, that's the anarchy I'm talking about. Um, was crazy for signing them. Ended up paying off. They ended up second to Lincoln Park in terms of um, what they, you know, of sales for uh, for Warner. So in the Warner family, so he he saw a similar blueprint in us. Like, wow, these dudes have been around a minute. You know, they're not going to break up. they have actually they're in it for the long run. For- I see. I see that he saw that as as an asset, um, and I'm glad he did. So yeah. So then we signed to Atlantic. Then got to make our final like finally we got to make like a real big big budget album and all that stuff but you know just up to that jake and maybe something else that might be might be of some use in my opinion on this is that even today where you you pointed out rightly that it's it's all visible everyone can see under the hood some some people i'm sure some some labels i'm sure are too numbers obsessed and uh, you know at the cost of a lot of these other intangible qualities that we all know we can just feel in our gut if something is legit, but, but I wouldn't be frustrated by that because I would, I would just turn that into your battle. And when I look back on all my impatience, I thought I deserved a major label deal when I was 18. I thought I did and I was convinced that I did, but I didn't, you know, and it, and I thought for how, sure how
0: old were you when you got it? I was how twenty
1: I was twenty-seven when I got it. Okay. And I look back on that decade leading up to that and all of that was my that was my crash course. Like that was that was my grad school or my, my education. My that that was ten years where I thought in my mind that I was just spinning my wheels and that I was just unknown and failing. And really I look back on that as like, thank fucking God nothing happened earlier because all of that, we got to work out personnel issues within the band. We got to work out, you know, different personality types. We got really good at understanding what our standards are that maybe not everyone else shares. Um, We got to, we got to write songs that were obscure and kind of bad, (laughs) you know, we got to have like bad shows where, shit goes wrong and we panic we don't know what to do and then you know show after show after show after show and then song after song after song after song after song and personnel change after personnel change you know it's like by the time you're so hardened and and know your way around the industry and the and and the stage and and all of that so well and not to mention promoting and marketing and all that crap that that you know but you need to lean on all of that shit to survive once once you know the train really starts moving. So I i would just remind people like and um I know you're not you're not just starting out, but I remember I remember telling you like this is a conversation you and I had like a few months back where I'm like you do not see what you've accomplished. You know, you only see where you aren't yet. You know and but but other people watching you know where you are and how you're in you know you're in that rarefied air like you've you've accomplished shit that puts you in the one in a million percentile of people that try to make it out of Chicago or out of the country you know so we were. it's it's just I think it's an important lesson for anyone who feels like they're they're not even close to where they want to be I'm not putting you in that category I'm saying for your for your listeners like you're when you're in it it's almost impossible to see what you've accomplished. But even all those failures, all the missteps, or all, you know, the sum of all of that is really what makes you a badass gladiator. So when you step into the real arena, you're like, I got this, you know? Oh, my. There's some bands out there that when they're on major labels and they have a fucking flat tire and they'll just cancel a show, you know? Right. Like, or they'll break up. Because, you know, somebody, maybe the lead singer is an asshole or whatever the fuck it is. It's like we, you get tested. It's like, a, you know, it's like a relationship. You know, you get, you get really tested out there. And um, if, 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 if that's your first time encountering some of this stuff, it, I, I think it'd be really hard to keep the train on the rails. But maybe, maybe a cool well, lesson. Th- and Chicago in particular. Because Chicago is harder. Chicago, Yeah, I would, I, would, I would consider Chicago like a gladiator academy,
0: period. Well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about just like that relentless pursuit. Like There's a burning passion in you that you have to do this, so you're not going to stop and you're going to grind it out for the 10, 15, 20 years because you're going to make that song whether it's for three people or for 30 million. And my whole perspective, what I try to do, for me at least, is just be prepared, not in an overconfident way. If Drake or Chance the Rapper called me right now and said hey we're going on stage in 10 minutes right i would not be nervous and i'd right. be fully <laughs> prepared because i've been rocking this show for you know 10 15 years or whatever right. and anyway i don't say that in a cocky way. i'm just in full of green no exactly like- and you
1: know what if you got there and in the middle of your song the mic cable fell out of the mic you wouldn't You wouldn't stand there like a spaz. You you wouldn't know exactly. Right. I'd
0: casually do the (laughs) throw your arms in the air while (laughs) slickly (laughs) reattaching. Funny story, by the way. I forget if you were in L.A. or in Chicago for my House of Blues show, but either way, I'm about to walk out on stage for the first song. And that happened. The mic cable came out of the mic. It got caught on something. And I was like, oh, my God. So literally two seconds before I go out on stage I'm fumbling with that but I digress right um, yeah we all
1: we all have we all, all have those it's better it's better for those things to happen in Chicago you know
0: <laughs> right well exactly then, then at the grand yeah. um, So when the Atlantic record deal hits I won't get into your personal details I'm not gonna ask you anything crazy but is that like life-changing holy shit money or like okay here's just like a nice little. 360 deal you're gonna go on like a van tour or like what was the level of like i don't know like was it holy shit we made it it was like okay now here's step one and we're basically in double a baseball and it's time to go hit a van
1: yeah it's kind of like it's kind of like the double a baseball analogy also but by that point because you're talking about five dudes um and there's the yeah i mean it was it was at that time it was a considered a a larger i think above average size major label deal, which is which was cool. But then
0: when you break it down,
1: you look at where that money needs to go. You want to, you know, it's going into it's, it's a marketing budget for the album. It's a recording budget for the album and blah, 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 blah. Um, what no? what hits your pocket after all that, after the managers, after after the ex managers, after the ex finance, you know, the dudes who fin- bankrolled the band in the early days after all that and you know what what lands in your pocket is not life-changing what was life-changing was that now we get to tour and now um I mean the biggest thing was I just weaponized that association so still nobody hustled harder than we did still we were the hardest hustlers still um but we could use that then to open more doors and to Make bigger things happen. That's that was the biggest. That was probably the coolest thing about it.
0: Yeah, the launching pad, the exposure, the the financial backing to go on tours. And you've toured with some monster acts. I mean, I don't know if 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 you've properly toured with these people or. If, but through my research, I mean, I'm seeing crazy names like Thirty Seconds to Mars, Eve Six, like you said, Papa Roach, Chevelle, like All American Rejects. Like you, you've been on some monster, you know, tours
1: pretty much yeah it was great i mean i we just used to live in, in a van and then you know we did stuff overseas and some sometimes you're in a van for a lot of it you know and then we upgrade to uh upgrade to a shuttle bus oh man it's funny like our my parents lived outside of boston and anytime we we ended up out east and you're gone for once we started touring in 2003 i'd say without an exaggeration we were gone for i don't think we were ever home for more than like one or two weeks at a time in the entire year kind of a thing and we're so we're just gone 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 and some tours made a lot of sense some didn't sometimes we're out with like metal bands i'm like oh god they, they're gonna hate us and this is not we're not gonna convert a lot of these fans <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes you know sometimes we end up on the bill like a big radio show at the right time, or right place. Our, our, our sing was bumping when other big, like that was, that was probably the coolest is when we pull into a city and our song happens to be doing really well on the radio there. So then we're on the, yeah, then it's like us and AFI and the strokes and 30 seconds and my Kim all on the same stage, you know, the, for the same reason. And like, that's, that was really cool. Um, But, you know, but my parents live outside of Boston and they're just so used to us coming through in whatever, (laughs) you know, whatever the hell we could afford. And normally it was like a a 15 passenger van like everyone else with a small trailer. And then we tried to, we got it for like three grand. We bought this church shuttle bus called, and on the side of it, it said the Living Word Christian Center. And it was like this really weird, not a van, but not a bus. It was. Really wide and really tall, it's like, it's like a shuttle, like you'd
0: you'd see at the airport, like a van, vantera, I think. A van- it, yeah, like those shuttle buses. I think they're called vantera. Yeah. I'm serious. I oh, okay, like yeah, I didn't it. even know did that. You, did you, I didn't even you, know there's a name, but it's yeah, I think it's called. I could be wrong. Funny, uh, but when I when I was playing sports in college, that's what we would travel in. I think. It's yeah, Vanter, I mean, it's unless that was trushy, like some weird like name, a we bunch
1: of really nice it. velvet seats, but it's not meant for a band to take around the country for five years, like like we did. I mean, it even had like that bus sliding door thing. So like anyone was coming on or coming off, we could always close it and like trap them in it. It's like, and like hurt them. So it was hilarious. And we didn't expect it to last. We bought it from the church and it died on the highway on the way back from the church in a toll booth. So the whole toll booth got locked. Anyway, we ended up taking that thing for years. Um, and so from my,
0: did you guys wrap it or paint it or did you just keep it? No, it said, we
1: love that. It said Christian. We love that. The Christian word or, or the living word, the living word is what it said on the side. Christian, Christian youth center, whatever. So, um, and by the way, it's just hilarious as fuck because when we play a show, we would just sometimes take that thing, just coasting around the town and let any, any one of our friends come on with us. We just have, Thirty people on that thing going through like New York City, you know. <laughs> and after a show, like so yeah, a ton of fun. But I was just saying, my 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 parents. If you could just imagine a time lapse of our band was just them looking out the window and seeing what we're pulling in their driveway. In it was usually it was like Van for a couple of years and then Living Word and then some another weird monstrosity. We got like a larger shuttle bus thing that was like bizarre and I think it was made for like Armenian bachelor parties. You know, where it's like reflective oh windows right. and all that and then and then we we had a a, no joke we traveled in a um like a pizza delivery truck for a year or whatever it was like a a half the size of the living word it was it was wider and shorter and uh that was really weird and then my parents would just see this thing pull in and then eventually yeah we got to a bus finally and then that was like really rad because then that's That's a full-fledged like thirty-footer pulling in with the trailer on the back (laughs) into this like tiny driveway in a a suburb of Boston. So, we've we've had it all and overseas double-decker buses, everything else too.
0: And then you you graduate to a bus and you're overseas with a bus and you have one burned down. Yeah, right. What the heck happened? I should post your bus exploded
1: yeah we were in the swiss alps we were going from we played in in italy and we we're going we we're on our way to paris for a show and that was really i'd say like it's maybe one of the highlight one of the coolest eras of kill Hannah because that was we were just on fire in terms of how we were playing our songs and and we were on roadrunner records at that time and we had had like three or four singles on that album so everywhere we pulled in, in Europe and stuff, you know, you'd open the magazine at the gas station, we'd have a poster in there and every, any weird city we pulled into, there'd just be hundreds of like weird looking girls with pink spiked hair and nose piercings, just standing in line waiting to get in. It was just, it was just, that was really it felt like all of our hard work was, was, was paying off, you know, but yeah, so we're in this bus and, in the alps on the way and we're in the i guess the italian side of the alps and and would, there was just there was smoke and pulled over it was eight in the morning and the guys the drivers like everyone off the bus get off the bus we all get off the bus in our underwear and we looked back and there were two bands at that time on the bus it was like 18 of us there's another band from england and a couple of girlfriends and look back and the bus is on fire and then the whole bus we just all stand there on the side of the highway and just watch the bus burn <laughs> completely to to a shell. And
0: uh, I found the uh, the picture of you, and I'll post it on my okay. socials. But of you standing in front of the bus <laughs> with your guitar, t- and it's just this like burnt down mess, and you've just got this face on, like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, me nobody, n- nobody,
1: that that, that that look on our faces. If you want to look at that whole you know, the, there's an entire gallery of those photos. That look on our, face, on our faces is exactly what I was describing earlier about what it takes to break out of Chicago. It took us to break out of Chicago. Everyone else, I mean, there are people on different trajectories. There are people who by the time they're 18 are just ready to go because <laughs> they're geniuses, you know. But in our case, that look on our face was, we didn't cry. We didn't laugh. Literally anything that went, any problem that we encountered as a band, we just coldly analyzed as like, okay, what does this mean? Do you know I mean like does this mean onto the next one? Yeah, on the next one. So, um you know, are okay, how many people have passports? Okay, How many passports burned in the bus? <laughs> okay, so you without passports are getting on a train right now to Zurich. You with passports, you know, because you're gonna go to the American embassy and get expedited passports. Those of you with passports are gonna go to this hotel and this tiny ski chalet and basically drink drink beer and eat pasta for the next three days and then and 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 wait for the crew to get their yeah we'll cancel the paris tour we'll cancel the paris show cancel another one and then whatever and and ended up being awesome we got covered by the bbc and a lot of positive press around that i'm gonna post you just reminded me i'm gonna post those pictures because yeah it's pretty
0: it's pretty absurd yeah, that's, that's epic. I'm glad everybody uh, was okay and it didn't turn into, like, a, a horrible, horrible story. Just a good learning more moment story. Um, I got to ask you this, man. Give me, give me a moment in time, though, because, like, you're such a humble cat even knowing you. Like, you're not a name dropper, but I know that you've had, holy shit, I might be a rock star moments. Give me a time or a moment or, like, a dude you met or someone you did, like – open for what was the moment we were like holy shit i'm on right now and you know this is crazy we we made it
1: damn uh uh, i mean there have been fun little things that i just know are
0: rare that um yeah take your humble head off and give me a little thing where you're like oh well the marilyn manson it was oh
1: yeah okay yeah i mean i guess there's i don't know which what come come to mind are not the most braggable, but they're just the ones that come to mind. So, so it's things like that. So you mentioned Marilyn Manson. Yeah, we were so we were on the road with those guys in, in Australia for a few weeks, and there was a robbery, and and he literally wanted to kill me. So, and I mean kill me. And he every day in every city we were in in Australia, he was like trying to find me to get in a fight with me and. We ended up squashing it a couple weeks in and having a an arm wrestle, which he won. But so, like, that moment, I would say, like, when I'm arm wrestling Marilyn Manson, you know, I, I would see a picture of that. I saw one recently. And I'm like, that's a cool moment. You know, like, that's actually real. That's, that is something that not everyone can say. And, and I would not have been there had I not put the hours and everything into band stuff. And so, um, you know, paid our our dues in our 10,000 hours. And and so, yeah, it's it's something like that, or um, not even, I don't know, I was just thinking the other day, my birthday, I went to, you mentioned 30 Seconds to Mars, they were playing the Aragon, and Jared had the whole audience sing happy birthday to me. I wasn't playing the show, I was just in in the balcony and he made the whole, um, you know, everyone in the Aragon sing happy birthday to me. And, and that was, I'm like, oh, that's fucking awesome. Like there, and I just found that picture recently. And so there, yeah, mo- moments fun. like that there, I don't think there's necessarily the, oh, you know, hearing your song on the radio moment that a lot of people have or playing SNL or getting a plaque in the mail. or anything. that's, I, I, mine are more just rare things that are the, I was like the beneficiary of because whoever kind of offered that cool thing happened to have been a fan so it's not like worldwide what? stardom but it's like all right i got to spend a week in cornwall in like this fairy tale house just drinking wine and eating cake and like hanging out with horses and um and like shakespearean actors and stuff just because you know the woman who owned the house was a fan of ours, you know, and things, things like right. that that are really cool. Or like access to shit. Like someone's going to show you the secret room and the secret wine cellar. Someone's going to you know, um, like, like, yeah, like, no, absolutely. like I, I was, uh this is in New York and there's a, one of my favorite bars in New York. If any of your listeners spend time there, is spotted pig and spotted pig is in the West village. And it's, it's kind of like an English, vibey, dark, um, all wood, as you'd imagine, and, and candles, and there's, you know, kind of expensive drinks and whatever, and so food, and upstairs. Um, you know, It feels like an English pub. And then there's, above that, above the second floor, there's actually a secret staircase that goes up to the third floor, which nobody knows about. And that's literally just a, it's a whole other miniature version of the second floor where there is a bar, there there are tables to sit and eat, but it's free up there because it's like the clubhouse for the owners. The owners of this place, which my, people don't know, is like Jay-Z and Michael Stipe and Bono, and they are like like six A-list rock stars and icons own this restaurant. And there were a couple of times when I was invited up to that third floor where at the end of the night, it's literally just me and Bono drinking whiskey and I have to go because it's five something in the morning. And I just cannot go any longer. And the moments like that are cool.
0: Yeah. To say the least drinking, with that's what I'm glad I asked you to take your humble head off. In two you just told me that you had to arm wrestle Marilyn Manson because he had an actual beef with you that you needed to squash <laughs> and that you drink with Bono till 5.00 AM after after hours. That's uh you and I were just talking a week or two ago off air about the, uh, uh, the rainbow room and the Hollywood vampires and the, how it was like, you know, uh, Ringo and Alice Cooper and all those guys would have this, the VIP VIP <laughs> yeah. at the rainbow or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like that pretty much. That's. It's wild. funny, dude, cause you and you and I History. both like,
1: we'll be, you know, you know, it happens the same way. Like I've, I've always been bad at answering open-ended questions. So on Mondays, if anyone asks me on a Monday, how was your weekend? I've always just been terrible at answering that. Cause I'm like, I don't know. Like every, It's days are days like they don't, and I don't plan, you know. My life is I I don't plan weekends as if they're more fun than any other days. And uh, and similarly, like you and I both get we've been asked a couple times, like, what is name a fun fact about yourself? And I always always freeze up, I'm like, I don't know, what's what's a you know, like, what give me, give me something unique that people don't know that that maybe is. Something really noteworthy that that you've done in your life. And I'm like, I always freeze up at that shit. It's nice when you kind of coax it out of me because then, yeah, this stuff deserves to be remembered, and it is a cool reminder that, you know, some of those some of those things we set out to to accomplish when we're in yeah, high like, school fi- actually did get accomplished.
0: Yeah, like that happened. That's <laughs> yeah. real. Like that's a that's a moment in time that no one could ever take from you, and then. Because you're a humble guy and because the way you view life, you kind of just, I call it like leveling up, like you just level up and then that kind of becomes right. a norm, but then you have to step back every now and then and just be like, oh, wait, that's not <laughs> normal. This is so cool. And nine-year-old me would be freaking out. Oh, yeah, out
1: right totally. Now. You know what I mean? Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I looked at, um, uh, my, I my thing was, I'm, I remember there's a band that I really idolized. This is going to date me too, but um, I was really into that band, Orgy. And I remember, and back then there was a show called MTV Cribs where they, and the drummer, Bobby, was, he was a guest on MTV Cribs and he took, lived in LA and took the crew through his house and he had a kind of, whatever, like kind of cool house, like not compared to any, you know, any of the big heavyweights, but it was a cool house in LA and I remember distinctly like when he pointed to this picture that he had framed above his desk and it was, a shot of him on, from his perspective of the crowd, of Orgy playing this big arena. And I, that to me was the coolest thing in the world. I was like, that's, you know, you have a nice size house and the only real indication of who you are in your band is, is just a framed moment like that. And then later in life, I slowly started to realize like, oh, dude, those are, that was probably a radio festival. Like Orgy was probably not headlining to forty thousand people, you know. Like, and it was right. daytime, so they were probably first. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm I slowly it started to make sense, and 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 we have we now have photos like that, or we have photos um, from from venues of that size with similar crowds, and um, you know, it's just it's funny to put in perspective when you do like i think you're always always going to be your hardest critic and and always be unsatisfied with where you are which is important but yeah and I, I think it's dope to have other people like you um to to kind of you know get it out of you and to and to kind of snap snap you out of the yeah your uh, operating
0: system it's one of my one one of the things that i'm going to do with you for sure is get all dinged up we'll drink a million <laughs> scotches and i'm gonna say all right it's just you and me we're not recording it like tell me every <laughs> cool thing well ever. that did go because i too. love that i mean stuff, that's you know honestly I mean? that's
1: i would i would i feel like i would be a really good interviewer you are an, an absolute natural at it but it's the same thing like why why do i keep listening to howard stern every day it's like well he's Just like us, like he's curious and he asks asks exactly the questions that that we want to know. And I don't know when most hosts started to think in terms of, so, you know, to become so safe. But man, dude, I'm the same way. I could, if I could just ask, I mean, I'm just such a gossip queen, you know, I'm just such, I'm so, I'm so, I just want to know. I'm like, I just want to fucking know. Like, what? What was that like?
0: Well, I really, I just, I want to know because, like, I honestly just like love people's like joy or whatever. Not to be over the top and corny, but you know what I mean. To like know that you know you got to do something that was so cool. It's just like, yeah, man. Like, tell me what, tell me your joy, please, immediately. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. So I'm glad you did. Um, dude, we've been rapping for like almost an okay. hour. Or oh yeah, that's
1: right. Or not. Yeah, because there's ten, ten on top of this. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, because we started and then we had a little audio issue, and now we're now we're uh, we're on like another fifty on top of that. So, dude, it flew by. Thank you for, yeah, for chatting with me. Where can people find you online? Are you doing yeah, Instagrams yeah. or like what just should we? should we send just, people?
1: Just Matt Divine's life. So Matt with one T, M A T, D E V I N E S L I F E. Matt Divine's life on, on
0: Instagram. Matt Devine's life, verified account, no big deal, <laughs> casual. Um, listen, brother, from the moment I met you, uh, you have been open and cool and kind of like mentorish, dare I say, and just always really been an advocate for me. I think you're... I think your energy is insane. I think your story is fucking awesome. I love that you're still grinding and so open and, uh, you know, at the risk of gushing over you. I just uh, I appreciate you as a human.
1: But yeah, we're we're cut from the same cloth. We're we're brethren for sure. And and thank you. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, of
0: course. Hell yeah. No problem. I'll, I'll get to L.A. as soon as I can. Uh, and then we'll we'll figure out uh, what the hell life's going to look like and we'll figure it all out. But in the meantime, I hope you have a great same, brother. Yeah, and yeah, the two wrong footin'
1: Is waiting for you anytime you want to sleep on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the dude Foodin. I can't wait. Uh, it's a new name. Beautiful. Uh, you rock, right, brother. brother. Thanks I'll for holler. having you me. Have a great day, all right? Later, Jake.